Welcome to Snaresbrook Prep Uncovered, the podcast where we talk with staff, pupils and parents to understand more about life at the school. In this episode, we speak to Ralph Dalton, head teacher of the prep school, and we learn what Ralph's background was before he went into teaching, why the school is looking to communicate with the community through a podcast, and also we encourage him to open up a little about his feelings on the importance of friendships. So come with me as we step into this conversation. Ralph, thank you for being here today. Welcome to Snaresbrook Prep Uncovered. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited uh, to do this. It's exciting to have you here on board because, of course, this is our first episode. So that makes it even better, really, in many ways. But just for the sake of people listening, can you just tell us a little bit about what you do at the school and how long you've been there for? Yes, certainly. So uh, I'm the head teacher. I joined the school in 2018, uh, September 2018. And I always say my role is to act like a catalyst to bring together... um, the best of the experiences for pupils, staff and parents. Oh, nice. So okay. I just, right. and, uh, I just try and remove the friction to let the magic happen is another one of my phrases that <laughs> I always use. And before you were at the school, tell us a little bit about your career and how you ended up there. Okay, right. So let's try and do a long story short. Um, so it depends where you would go back. I didn't originally go into teaching which is an odd thing because I'd always had some element of teaching or working with children in my life. So even from the age of uh, 16, I qualified as a dry dry slope ski instructor. Okay. um, And worked with children, you know, from the under fives through to, you know, well, through to adults. But I left university having done a law degree and uh, knew I didn't want to go into law. Then having pursued some other careers which interestingly had always ended up with a training element, me either helping other people understand new markets um, and sort of training them on on the technicalities of it or Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of... It was interesting that it always happened. And then one day my mum said to me, she said, well, I don't know why you don't become a teacher because I've always thought you'd make a good teacher. Mm. I was like, okay, so you've waited 10 years to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to tell me that uh, I could have done with that but being you know to be fair if she had told me I wouldn't have listened because I was a teenager mm. and knew everything but and, and I suppose the other thing in this is my wife has always been a teacher so mm. I had always dropped her off for work in the morning and then gone off to work myself I'd pick her mm-hmm. up and we'd talk about her day and she would say she'd tell me how th- difficult things were and I think mm-hmm. why is it why is it people are making it so difficult for good people to do what they need to do for the best of the child you know all these initiatives and you know this new idea and uh, so I thought I'm not one to really complain I'm not a complainer so I thought well if you can do better why don't you try why don't you try and create this um, environment where it's focused around the child and the and you empower those closest to them to do what is needed to help them make the next step so I enrolled on a a PGCE and sort of started this teaching career uh, and then moved to the independent sector which led me sort of to here. So it's a bit like when people say be the change that you want to see in life a bit like that then? I guess so yeah I just I just wanted to make a, a positive impact in the world and so I sometimes you know, say I'm just trying to change the world one small person at a time. You do that in your classroom and you can do it with 24 or 30 pupils. And then as a 
head of a school, you get the opportunity to allow that to happen on a much bigger scale, you know, send out ripples of positivity into the world. So that's, yeah, so that's, that's what brought me sort of to here. I love it. Great. Thank you for that. Now, podcasting is something that the school is now embracing uh, as a way of letting parents and other people connect with the school at a deeper level. But tell me why you think this form of communication is, is, is good for the current parents of Snaresbrook Prep. So first of all, podcasting is a, uh, a longer term format of social media. So it attracts, I think, people who like to listen to ideas uh, and are willing to give them the space to develop. When we have a, a lot of ideas uh, to improve the school, and it would be nice to be able to share those with people, and it's very difficult to get people together in a hall at one point. So this is this is a great way to, to sort of lift the lid, if you like, on what goes on, because I think essentially school doesn't look any different. It doesn't look like it's changed in... Oh, in, in decades, you know, the, the, the school and the subjects pretty much look like the, the school and the subjects that I had in the 70s. And mm-hmm. I think that probably looked like the one in the 1800s. But education as a profession has really changed in terms of the amount of thought that goes into it, the training that goes into it, the mm. research that goes into it. And the practices that are evolving out of that research are influencing the way we do things. But on the surface, from the outside, as a parent, it looks very similar. And so I think it would be really helpful for us to have a platform to be able to explain why we are approaching things the way we are and the benefit that will have for the pupil. Because I think there can be, it can, it leads to misunderstanding as to why things happen. Can you just give us a few examples of some of the things that weren't happening in like the 70s and 80s, for example? but things that are happening now that we sort of just take for granted. I'll sort of, as a caveat, put out my, you know, I'm not a hist- an educational historian, so, but I, th- I believe, you know, up until the 80s, there was no national curriculum. So as a primary school teacher, you, you would teach whatever you felt was useful to teach. Uh, and I anecdotally, I was told a story by a colleague when I first entered the profession who had taught back in the 60s and the 70s and said, yeah, I knew teachers that didn't teach maths because they weren't any good at it and didn't like it. You know, so there was a whole class of children coming out of whichever school it was, I don't know which school it was, that, that didn't do maths in year three. And so that's why you ended up with a national curriculum being brought in. That's then led to discussion. So even so, we bring it more up to date. You get to the 2000s and how children learn or how to assess what they're doing how to build confidence in their learning you did get ideas you know um, Carol Dweck and growth mindset and its influence Uh, you've got bodies like the education endowment fund looking at which innovations or educational initiatives have the best impact on pupil outcomes Um, you have people like uh, Hattie who have done a meta-analysis of all the educational research that has ever taken place and trying to quantify which are the most effective things you should do in a classroom for pupil outcomes Mm. and so then I'm really just trying to take that and say right well let's just you know what are the top five things what are the basics that you need to do to help these children you know if we identify the the basics that make the most difference to children and we focus on getting really good at those and we we set everything out set everything around that that's got to have the most impact on on each individual that 
you know, I see each day when they come in on the forecourt and we'll make their lives better. We'll make all the people that they interact with over the generations better. So that it's just, it's got a lot more rigorous. I think, you know, you asked me originally about going back to the, the 80s, 70s and 80s, it's just a lot more rigorous. And I don't think that's probably recognised. It's not easy to see because on the mm. surface, it all looks the same. So let's bring it back to this podcast then, because this is a, a way of communicating with parents. But give me an example of something that might be easier to communicate via a podcast instead of, uh, for example, in a prospectus or in a, in a video or something, a post on social media. Yeah. I d OK, so I, th I mean, I think it's any any of the ideas that underpin it. So one of the first ideas that made a big impact on me early on in teaching is the idea about challenge. So I think when I went to school, everything was set around uh, tests and getting 10 out of 10. If you got 10 out of 10, good day at school, good day at the office. And that language very much reflected that, you know, you'd go home. How did you do on the test? I got 10 out of 10. By the time I did my PGCE, it was much more about progress. Has the child made progress? Because actually getting 10 out of 10 doesn't tell you that the child has made any progress. And again, if you only ever praise the outcome, you're either going to debilitate the child in terms of, well, I'm not going to take the chance because if I don't get 10 out of 10, I'd rather not do it Yeah. because then I haven't failed. And so they don't do it. They don't try. And you see a lot mm. of that. And I think, you know, my own, my own education, I very much had that mindset. But also when you get 10 out of 10, you've got to ask yourself the question, well, did the child already know it? Because if I ask, if I do, so we... Um, you know, three letter words, we call them CVC words like cat, dog, hat. If I give if I give that, you know, 10 spellings um, to a 13 year old and they get 10 out of 10, you go, <laughs> nah, not, so, not <laughs> yeah. so impressed with that. Hmm. You give it to your three year old, you go, hmm, pretty impressive. So the 10 out of 10 doesn't really mean very much. What you're really interested in is progress and taking and our focus is all about just what is the next step you need. And it's a tiny step. You know, we don't we don't make these giant leaps. Mm. They don't bound everywhere. It's about, okay, what's the next step I need to take? And, and so coming even to your previous question, that change of emphasis is mm -hmm. something that very much happened inside education. And it's starting to happen parentally, but we still get a lot of concern. As, as you can understand around, oh, my child didn't get 10 out of 10 or, you know, in lockdown. So we've been teaching live lessons. And so parents have heard the lesson going on and the child has been answering questions and finding them difficult. And parents are concerned that they're not where they should be because mm -hmm. they're seeing the failure as them failing. Whereas actually what it is, is a teacher constantly pushing them, constantly challenging them. Because it's only in that gap between what I know now and trying to apply it that I can learn something new. That type of idea is something that I think this longer format, you know, we can talk about, we can discuss and you can hear people talk about it. And then you can see that when, you know, homework comes home, uh, it's really difficult as a parent. I've had it myself. My children come home and they're struggling with this homework. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, now. Should they be able to do this? In which case, I'm really worried. Or is this deliberately challenging for them? And it's very difficult to know as a parent which one it is. But 
I'm not sure that we in the education sector have made it clear that that's sometimes what we're doing. We have assessment tasks where we're saying, mm-hmm. right, we want to know how much you know. This isn't about learning. This is just to make an assessment of where you are. Well, again, even that's starting to change because, you know, traditionally we'd have said, OK, 10 out of 10, great. But sometimes mm-hmm. you actually learn what a child doesn't know when they get it wrong. So even in that just straight assessment situation, it's perhaps an opportunity lost. Um, but certainly when you're doing the learning and you're in the learning cycle, you know, questions are not there for assessment. They're there to challenge and, and to develop that. So it's that sort of it's that sort of idea that I hope you know, it's easier to, to hear discussed. Okay, all right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, so we've seen uh, the reason why you're uh, embracing this podcast as a means of communication. And you've given us an example of the kind of thing that's easier to communicate via a podcast. But what sort of things can parents expect to see in future episodes on this podcast channel? Well, like I say, it's lifting the lid. So I think anything where we can lift the lid, it could be lifting the lid on the history. Uh, it could be lifting the lid on... Uh, getting to know some of our members of staff Mm -hmm. it could be lifting the lid on the changes that are going on and the reasons behind them it could be getting the pupil voice you know and and hearing their experience and it's really just a way of you know hopefully i think getting to know us a little bit better and uh you know get a a better feel for maybe the day-to-day experience that you're that a child will have um, inside the school and, and, I, and I hope that will be of interest I'm sure it will be and of course we can open it up to parents as well and ask people to send in their own questions and maybe even address those questions on different uh, podcast episodes yeah I mean it'd be fabulous to to have that input because it's a great way of you know contributing and you know to know what actually people want to know about and what would be useful to hear about would um, would be great Ralph I've got a few questions about yourself if that's okay I know that you're married with children, but when you were, say, 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, Well, I know exactly. Um, I had learnt this answer. I wanted to be a lawyer. But what was behind that was I actually wanted to be a police scuba diver. I think I was seven. I'm fairly... This is... Well, this is the memory I've created. Oh, hang on. Sorry. That's, uh, That's my alarm to tell me that it was this day 10 years ago that my daughter was born. And she's ten years ago. I remember. What uh, at this time? At this time, she's been born right now. Ten years ago. Yeah. Excellent. Happy birthday to her, by the way. Do you know she will be absolutely delighted that (laughs) we have made this moment about her? Um, She said to me, she said, "Do you think I could put my hand up um, and say in class, oh, 'Oh, I've just turned 10. And I was like, hmm, what do you think? Is that about you or is that is that to help other people? And she said, no, it's just about me. I said, well, what do you think is the right thing to do? I said, no, OK. <laughs> I was so mean to her. I know I should have said, no, it's all about you. It's just, you know, but it's not. What was it? Yeah, so I was seven years old and I was coming out of my friend's house and I turned to mm. my mum and I said, mum, I know exactly what I want to do when I'm older. OK. I want to be a police scuba diver because mm-hmm. who at seven doesn't want to be a policeman? And I was really into swimming and thought scuba diving looked like the coolest thing ever. And mm-hmm. combining those into a job wouldn't be like work at all. My mum said to me, nah, you don't want to do that. I was like, oh, what is that, mum? And she said, well, one, the police don't get paid very well. I'm not entirely sure about that. I've got mm-hmm. a couple of friends who are 
in the police force and I think they get paid better than I do. Anyway, that's a slight aside. And uh, she said the other reason is bodies that have been in water are awful. They really decomposed bodies are not pleasant to look at. So you don't want to oh. do that. So I said, I said to her, I said, OK, well, what's like a policeman then that gets paid better? And she mm -hmm. went, oh, a lawyer. And actually this, both my mum and my dad hadn't had the opportunity to go to university. And they had both studied like at night to mm -hmm. do their law degree. Hmm. And so I'm fairly sure there was an element of unfulfilled uh, ambition oh, there okay. in the nicest possible way, in, mm. the, in the most caring. Of course. But then what happens is you, as you give that answer to other adults as a seven year old, you get loads of positive reinforcement. That's a very sensible thing to do. You get lots of reassuring nods and, you know, warm sounds like, mm, yeah, oh, very, <laughs> oh well, you must be very intelligent. <laughs> Um, but it completely missed the fact that I don't think it really suited my personality. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to be. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, what do you enjoy doing when you're not at school that might surprise people listening to this right now? I don't know. My, I think my wife always accuses me of not actually enjoying anything. Everything's got to have an outcome. So everything's <laughs> got to have a purpose. <laughs> I can tell you things that I do when I'm not at work. You know, they're sort of exercise and... I like ideas. I like listening to, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I just, I like being with people. I like people who are, who are interesting and finding out other interesting ideas. And generally I, I tend to think my role is, you know, life is about contributing positively. So yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't mm -hmm. know. I don't know. If I'm contributing positively, that's enjoyable. Okay. All right. That's good. We'll take that. Um, what are your two favorite times of the week? I guess I prefer mornings to evenings. I like the stillness of the morning and as the sun rises, the freshness of a new day. I hope this doesn't sound insincere. It's not meant to be, it's, it's very genuine. Actually, I, there's a part of the day where I try to greet all the pupils on the forecourt and mm -hmm. actually their smiles and their energy as they bound in, no matter how heavy my steps as I walk onto the forecourt, no matter how tired I am as I walk on there in the morning, <laughs> I'm always a little bit lighter and smiling a lot more, um, mm -hmm. having seen all that energy come in. And uh, that's a good question. I don't really know, but yeah. I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit then. What, what's your favourite time of the week during the week? And what's your favourite time of the weekend? Favourite time of the week? So you've kind of hinted at that with the, with the children in the morning at school. But how about the weekend? I, I mean, I'm really lucky. Simon, I'm so lucky. I have such a lucky and privileged life that... I try and enjoy every every minute. I mean, we're not, we haven't got long of it, you know. It's quite a short time and it can it can be taken from us at any moment. I guess I just try and channel my inner mindfulness and just uh, stay rooted in the moment and enjoy every every one of them. They're all different. But, you know, that's not to say I'm... I could be quite miserable trying to enjoy those too. <laughs> I don't want anyone to think that I'm, you know... I don't know what they might think, but... OK, now, if our Netflix history was publicly available to everybody, what might people see in your Netflix history? Oh, I think it'd be very... Stand well, it depends whether my children have been on the account, but it would cover uh, the very popular television show from Canada that ends with Creek. OK, yeah, I'm aware of the one. Uh, so there's, yes, um, that and a lot of Modern Family... It's a lovely point at which it was the first TV sort of show that our children brought to us. We didn't, you know, we didn't know about Modern Family and they, they were watching it and they said, oh, look, no, can we watch this? So they brought that to us. Uh, and I guess Friends has been on repeat a bit less so recently, but it dates me. That's, you know, 
that was very nostalgic and it never gets old though does it I th- well for me that the first series has a lot of humor based around attitudes around sexuality that mm-hmm. actually are very outdated but i still think it is a brilliantly crafted show so yeah no so i think i think those three are probably what you would find a lot of okay and i've got a last question here which is if you could take your family anywhere in the world then where would you take them where do you go the short answer is probably New Zealand, but I don't really think it matters. Uh, I had an experience on my honeymoon where I just, so I'm into skiing and I'd always want to go heli skiing. Heli skiing was this massive thing at the start of the 90s, you know, getting a helicopter, fly up a mountain. Nobody skied down it, you skied down it. So I go on my honeymoon and I do this. My wife isn't a skier, so I do this alone. So it was me, two Russians, two guys from Japan and I'm standing at the top of this mountain you know the Huey has lifted off it's you Mm -hmm. know iconic lifted off we're standing at the top of this mountain over this run and I look around and I just think oh there's nobody to share this with and I can't share that I can't talk about it afterwards with them I can't reminisce with anyone and I really just thought that was one of those moments in life where I thought no it's really true isn't it? it doesn't matter what you have or where you go or what you do, it's who you're doing it with. Yeah, so it's pretty much anywhere. I always, you know, wherever my friends are, that's where I'm happiest. So I don't really mind where it is. It's wherever they want to go. Actually, they would want to go to New York. Yeah, we were actually going to go to New York and then lockdown happened. So what you're saying then is take them somewhere that you know that they would be happy immediately. And then because the very fact that you're all together is just going to bring more happiness anyway. Yeah, I mean, we we knock about so happily just at home. We can knock about in Cornwall, in the Lake District, you know, because it's who you, for for me, it's who you're with. I suppose it helps if it's got a nice vista. (laughs) It can't be a bad thing, really, can it? (laughs) I guess not. Ralph, we need to bring this to a close in a minute. But for anyone who's heard anything and might want to get in touch, maybe with a follow-up question, what's the best way that they should go about doing that? Yes, I guess if you want to learn more about the school, it's Snaresbrook Prep dot org as uh, the website and uh, any questions you could just email the office at snaresbrookprep.org maybe put in the subject line questions for the podcast uh, and that'd be great okay all right excellent Ralph thank you for being here today I've really enjoyed talking to you and I've especially enjoyed hearing all about why the school is doing this podcast and I've enjoyed hearing all about you as well oh no thank you Simon it's been a pleasure yeah like I said at the beginning it's it's really exciting to have the opportunity to share uh, what's going on and share a bit of ourselves with people. So, you know, thank you for the opportunity. So that was Ralph Dalton, head teacher of the prep school. Ralph, thank you for joining us in this episode and for being so open about your feelings. Now, if you'd like to get to know the school even deeper, then don't forget to check it out on social, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, just search Snaresbook Prep. And to stay up to date with the next episode that's coming out soon, then be sure to follow and subscribe to this podcast channel. And when the next episode is released, you'll get a small notification just to ensure that you don't miss it. But until then, thank you for listening to this episode and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.